You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. When my oldest daughter, Rebecca, was born, Liz and I were living in a really very small apartment near Capitol Hill in Denver. And so we didn't have very much room for stuff. So we tried to keep the amount of baby stuff that we acquired at a minimum, which is a bit tricky, as you know, um, if you have kids. Uh, Stuff seems to expand when you have children in the house. Um, But we got the basics that we needed primarily from our family. We had someone that was kind enough to donate a crib to us so we didn't have to go out and buy a crib. And we didn't really need any more things to to welcome Rebecca home. And so when our friends from church wanted to have a shower for us, um, we, being the bibliophiles that we are, asked them to have a book shower so that they were coming and getting us started with a children's library so that we would have books for itty-bitty, as we called her at that time. And um, because books don't take up a whole lot of space, um, if you get the children's books at least, and so they can eventually take up a lot of space. I'll also testify to that. But individually, a handful of books don't take up a lot of space, so that was something we felt we could have in our home. And this is one of the books that I received um, when when Rebecca was born, Um, this book called Tales of the Kingdom that a friend wrote a little nice inscription of as a book that had been significant to her. And I am going to read a little bit to you from this storybook, so settle in for story time for just a moment. Once upon a time, not long ago and not far away, There was a boy, no longer a child and not yet a man, who lived in the enchanted city. The boy, Scarboy, and his younger brother, Little Child, were not like the other children in the city. Yesterday, their mother had died, and they had immediately been taken into custody by the enchanter's men. Rumors said that the enchanter kept orphans to stoke the huge fires that burned deep in the hold of Dagoda the temple where the enchanter lived and ruled. A burner, one of the secret police who carried out the enchanter's bidding, had brought the boys to the burning place, a vast square of ashes. There they would watch the funeral ceremonies for their mother, whose body rested on an ornate bier in the middle of the field. The thought of his mother choked the older boy. She had been so beautiful as beautiful as the daughter of a king. There is a king, his mother had always insisted, a real king. She believed the ancient tales, even though signs were posted all over Enchanted City. There is no such thing as a king. Death to pretenders. The enchanter in the story rules the city through cruelty and fear. But the signs posted around the city belie his confidence, belie the security of his reign, because he is afraid of the king. Whispers of a true king even, if people even start to believe that there is a king, they might have hope in something else, hope that undermines his rule and his reign of terror. Kings 
are dangerous. When Pilate stood before Jesus, he too knew that whispers of a king were dangerous. He didn't care at all about the religious squabbles that Jesus got into with the Pharisees. He didn't care about the accusations of blasphemy that were brought to him in front of the, the high priest. All he cared is that when they delivered him up to them, they said, this one is claiming to be the Christ, which is a sort of king. He knew that a king might undermine his own rule, his own authority. Now, he probably wasn't afraid that a king of the Jews, of the small little kingdom, would topple all of Rome. But it's certainly a king could make trouble. It could gather people around him. People might rally around the king. They might try to push away Rome from this little corner of the world. And it was Pilate's job, or at least part of his job, to squash trouble at its first signs, ruthlessly, if need be. So he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, what's ironic here is that it's actually a good question if Pilate had asked it for a different reason. When Jesus responds and says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? It kind of gives us the hint that if Pilate had a different motive, he might be close to something real and something true. If he was actually looking to Jesus to recognize the king, then there might be something there for him. But Pilate dismisses Jesus, refuses to accept the invitation to look more closely. He's really only interested in the legal case before him, of whether Jesus is making a claim that subverts the dominance of Rome. He just wants to know, what have you done? What have you done that they're giving you over to me, that they have made this accusation against you? And Jesus answered him, he said, My kingdom is not of the, this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. When Jesus was teaching in the synagogues and in the streets and the wilderness of Galilee, there are times where he ended something that he said with, Let he who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear. He was telling people that there's something here that you don't want to miss, that, that you might listen and get this wrong. Pilate presumably had ears, but he didn't hear what Jesus was saying. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, what Pilate heard was, I'm not really a threat to Rome. My kingdom's in a purely spiritual dimension that isn't going to threaten the political rule of Rome. And when a moment later Jesus said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, what Pilate heard was, I'm a great teacher of philosophy, or maybe something like it. Whatever it was, it was something that he thought was innocuous, something that presented no real danger to the reign of the emperor or himself. But Pilate heard wrong. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, he wasn't telling Pilate that he wasn't a threat to Rome. He was telling him that Rome wasn't a threat to him. <laughs> and when he said that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, he wasn't pigeonholing himself into just the role of a great teacher. 
he was telling Pilate, I'm not just king of the Jews. I'm king of everyone who is willing to listen. Everyone who has eyes to see. If you're following along in your Bible and you're looking at our passage in John, flip back with me to the Old Testament passage, which is in Daniel chapter 7. Our Old Testament reading began with a description of the Ancient of Days, of God sitting upon his throne. It says, His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. It is a vision of the heavenly throne, and it is a picture that is intended to evoke awe at the might and majesty of God. The great beast who had been mentioned earlier in Daniel, who seemed so terrifying, lay defeated at his feet. And the other beasts, those who would exercise their own power over the world, are defeated but not yet killed, destroyed. Only by the mercy of the Ancient of Days do they live a little while longer. This image of God on his throne reminds us that the rule of God is absolute. The only thing we can do if we see his splendor is to respond by falling on our knees in reverence and awe, to lift up songs of praise, to be like the psalmist who sings to him, who sings the song that his throne stretches from everlasting to everlasting, and that even the the primal forces of chaos, the waters that were in our Psalm 93 that we read today, cannot threaten his reign or his rule. Nothing threatens the throne of God. And when Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world, he didn't mean, again, that it was a purely spiritual realm, that it was something that had no influence on politics. What he meant was that his authority doesn't derive from those political forces. His authority derives from this throne. His authority derives from the ancient of days. His authority comes from the source that cannot be threatened by anything. It makes no difference whether Pilate or the Jews acknowledge his rule. No difference to Jesus. It makes a difference to them. But he is the king regardless of whether they recognize it or not because God himself has set him on the throne. Look at the second half of our reading from the book of Daniel. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The most frequent title that Jesus claimed for himself throughout the Gospels was the Son of Man. This image that's in this book of Daniel is the one that he has of himself, the confidence that he takes before Pilate in that moment where he is being judged. Pilate thought to judge Jesus, but he was standing before the man who would judge everyone. The king who sat on his throne upon whom all rulers and all people will come and face for judgment. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Too often we, like Pilate, stand before Jesus and act like it is our place to judge him. We look through the Gospels and wonder at how severe his demands can be, how absolute his demands to obedience. And we flip through the pages of Scripture, and the question that we're asking is, should I, can I serve a God like this? Is this someone that I like? Is this someone that I want to follow? And then when we wrench up the courage to to talk to somebody else about the gospel, about Jesus as king, we feel like we have to somehow present it in the very most palatable way to them that they can possibly receive. And I'm not saying that we should try to to make things be um, intentionally pushing people away, but we present God as king and his rule as absolute, and we need to make no apologies for him because we are not judging him. He is judging us. We stand before the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one whose throne shall not fall. God's reign does not change based on whether or not you accept it. I know at the least that I have been guilty of this kind of attitude and that I'm sometimes guilty of it still, that there are times where I act like it is my role to judge God. And the scriptures do give us liberty to voice our cries and our complaints to God. When we look at the lamentations of the Psalms, we find out that there's actually great freedom to cry out to God and say, God, why? Father, how long? What are you doing? Why do the wicked rise up? But we cannot be entirely surprised if at times the answer that God gives us is like the one that he gave Job, where he says, I am Lord and you are not. Just trust me. Follow me. Obey me, because I am the king. And when we proclaim on a Sunday like this one, or every time we gather together, that Christ is king, we also recognize that he alone is the judge, and that we can but bow before him and follow him in obedience. But what might sound constricting to us in a world where we kind of value our own liberty to do whatever we want, and the idea of a king seems onerous, is actually good news. In a world where well-meaning leaders and petty tyrants all vie for their little slice of power, where men and women of wealth and influence want us to bow before them, it is good news that Jesus' rule is secure. That the Son of Man, His rule extends to every corner of the globe. And no political party or mob or cultural movement can threaten it. And if we have accepted Him as King, if we, like the words in Revelation say, enter into where we are part of His kingdom, if we're prepared to recognize His reign, as the gospel, the good news that is given to us, then we have no reason to fear, even if all of the waters of chaos seem to rise up against the throne of God. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. Pilate and all of his kind, men like the enchanter in the story that I opened with, 
want you to be afraid so that they can cement their rule. In our day, in addition to the the men and women who want to evoke fear, they're aided by impersonal algorithms that have discovered that fear not only makes you malleable and easier to control, it also makes you lucrative because you'll click on things over and over again if you're afraid. That you'll look at the world and and try to look and, and wonder at what's going on and how you can possibly control it. But you do not need to fear. Even if they one day threaten your life or your livelihood. The beast may thrash about, but he is thoroughly defeated. Christ is king. And Christ is not merely king over the political and economic forces of our world. He came to set us free from spiritual bondage as well. I love the way that John describes Jesus in our passage from Revelation. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the fullness of the good news. That the very one whose majesty is so great, whose judgment is so certain, whose rule is so absolute that it cannot be threatened, loves you. We're not only called to follow him because he is great. We are not only called to follow him because he is mighty, because he evokes awe, because nothing can topple his throne. We are invited to follow him out of love. Because he loves you. No accuser can stand before him to keep you from him. Not the rulers of this world, not Satan, not even yourself. Because Christ is the judge and his judgments are true. And if he says that you are pure and clean and washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you are pure and clean and washed in the blood of the Lamb. As John puts it, if he has freed us from our sins by his blood, then we are free indeed. The preface that we will use at communion in just a few minutes puts it this way. God has seated Jesus at his right hand in glory and put all things in subjection under his feet, that he may present them to the Father perfectly restored in beauty, truth, and love. That's speaking about you. Being put under the rule of God, being put under the rule of Jesus, being washed in the blood of the Lamb is for your own good so that you can be restored in beauty, truth, and love. Christ the King loves you, and by loving you, He makes you lovely. So as we continue to worship together today, remember that when we pray, we are talking to the one who is the ruler of the whole universe, and yet loves you enough to die for you. 
That should give you confidence in your prayers. When we confess our sins, we are speaking to the judge who we will one day see face to face, who shed his own blood to be able to declare you not guilty. That should give you confidence as you confess your sins, that there is nothing you need to hide from him. There's nothing you can hide from him. But it's an invitation to enter into that with the confidence that God is king, that Christ is king. When we sing, we are singing to the one who is truly awesome. I was born in the 80s, and so that word got thrown around a lot and diluted. But it is true of God. He inspires awe when we look at his throne. When we give, we offer our gifts to the one who is truly worthy. We sometimes wonder as we're giving money if we're giving to a good cause. We are giving to the one who is truly, purely worthy. When we receive the body and blood of Christ, it is the King of glory who has offered himself on our behalf. And when we depart this place, we go as emissaries of the great King of kings and Lord of lords. We carry the good news that Christ is King into the world. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.